0: Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It's packed with benefits to help unlock more value from your business purchases. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at AmericanExpress.com businessgoldcard.
1: My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. I'm Kramer. Welcome to the Man Buddy. Money. Welcome to Kramerica. If you want to make friends, I'm just trying to make you a little money. My job not just to entertain, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CNBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. We need to talk about how professionals buy and sell stocks because they don't do it like regular people. If I am the teacher I claim to be, I have to make you understand this stuff. Let me use the impact of these GLP-1 weight loss drugs as an example. Now, these medications made by Novo Nordisk and Eli Lilly have multiple uses, and they've become one of the most powerfully disruptive concepts I've ever seen in all my years in this business. I call them concepts because in oftentimes they're not yet a reality. Oh, that doesn't seem to matter to Wall Street. Hey look, we own Eli Lloyd for the Chapel Trust talk about it endlessly at the club, and we do so with a reason. It's drug might become the greatest selling pharmaceutical of all time. Well, that was that was easy. Easy. well you know, I'm trying to get excited. It just hit an all-time high today of $605. Up $25 in this one session. So after a day where the Dow gained 66 points, S&P climbed 0.43%, NASDAQ jumped 0.71%. The impact of these drugs, that's what I want to focus on, the way concepts seem to get ahead of themselves in the stock market. Let me set the stage. Both Novo Nordisk and Lilly have developed weekly injection drugs that help people with type 2 diabetes by lowering their blood glucose level. These drugs have been uh, both been approved for that one use. Novo Nordisk drug, which is called Wagovi, has also been approved to help with weight loss because it suppresses appetite and curbs hunger. It is a runaway success. Louis' drug has yet to be approved for weight loss, but it's already being used off-label because it has the same mechanism as Novo Nordisk. It's in very short supply because of demand. We've known that these GLP-1 drugs could impact many different industries, but nobody thought that would happen anytime soon until Walmart, one of the nation's largest grocers, last week mentioned them as a reason for a decline in some food sales, which I've now learned are junk food sales. That was all she wrote for the food and beverage companies that considered a junk maker, which is pretty much all of them, because there's been so much money made in stacking. Remember, stacking blew up during COVID, so they invested heavily because they thought it would be a lifestyle change. Now it looks like it's been a big mistake, even with the work-from-home cohort. Now let's understand that this panic is all from one comment from Walmart. No food company has actually seen a decline. Conagra makes a lot of snacks. They told us they haven't seen any slowing. Remember that last week? PepsiCo, with Jones Frito-Lay, told me the same thing. No, no, they didn't. They told me that things are accelerating. Quizzical. So the non-professionals might say, okay, Walmart's seen some weakness, but the food companies say, no, no, no. So let's go with the companies. They're reliable. They know more. Who would know better? That's not how the professionals think. They know the stock market is a prediction machine, which means the present is less important than the future. Okay? Uh, the, you, that's what you're supposed to know. See, they're not going to wait around for the future. They can't wait. It's too late when the future comes. So what do they do? They take action. They are crushing the stocks of Hershey's, Mondelez, Think Oreos, Shil-sir. Caledoga, Shil-sir. big snack food company that was part of the old Kellogg, not to mention Hormel, Shil-sir. Campbell's, PepsiCo, ConAgra, and J.M. Smucker, which has the unfortunate, uh, let's say, distinction of having just bought Hostess, the ultimate junk food. Of course, if you're a brave soul, you may say this all overdone, and now's the time to start buying. They won't all be that hurt. I get that. However, I need you to think about this. If you know that candy's bad for you and you don't particularly crave it because of these new drugs, why would you eat candy? Even if you decide to eat it anyway, you're going to eat less candy. The volume is going to be lower, and that's what matters, volume. So then why not wait to see? Well, the answer is you can't, because by the time there's definitive proof, the stocks will have already been obliterated. Money managers sell first ask questions later, and if they're wrong, what they always do buy the stock back. And right now, they know that Walmart's seeing weakness in snacks, so that's enough for them to get out of every one of the companies I just mentioned. Why is this still so salient if we learned about it last week? I say it's because we keep finding new uses for these drugs. Last night, we learned that Novo Nordisk had to stop a study because it was so clear that this class of drugs helped stop kidney failure that it was unfair to people in the control group who were getting the, uh, were getting the placebo. Plenty of companies in the kidney space just died. Uh, Baxter, very good company, Devita stock collapsed. In fact, the clients were so pronounced that the sellers circled back to stocks that depend on the diabetes epidemic again. And these had already been sold aggressively for months. So Dexcom and Abbott Labs, they got blasted, too. Once again, when you check with the affected companies, only their stocks have been impacted. Abbott, for example, is adamant that the GOP-1 drugs are positive for the blood sugar monitors. As they put it to me, and I'm quoting, weight loss drugs such as GOP-1s, Uh, will not eliminate the need for other tools people use to manage diabetes, such as glucose monitoring systems. In fact, they go on to say it's the opposite. The tools work better together. Abbott went on to tell me, quote, new data demonstrate that more people are relying on both weight loss drugs and continued glucose monitors to make short and long behavior changes, end quote. Not enough, get this. A recent analysis of the retail pharmacy data in the U.S. shows people have better adherence. Wear their sensors more days when using Freestyle Libre systems in combination with GLP-1 therapies as compared to using Freestyle Libre alone. Now, Freestyle Libre is their red-hot glucose monitor system. Or maybe it's not so hot anymore. My head's spinning. I don't even know. Yet the market's saying, yeah, all of those things that happen, they they could all be true. Absolutely. But if someone's obese and pre-diabetic, These drugs let them lose weight and avoid diabetes entirely. See, that's the catch. In that sense, sellers think that while Abbott and Dexcom haven't seen anything bad so far, their future growth will be impacted. And again, they can't wait around for the future. ResMed's a really good company that makes machines for sleep apnea. Right now, people are using Ozempic, and that is Novo Nordisk drug, for sleep apnea. It hasn't been approved yet, but it's thought to work against sleep apnea, because, like many healthcare problems, it's partially caused by obesity. Louis has a study for it that's expected to be completed in March. Now, given the surprise kidney data for the GLP 1s, money managers don't want to wait around for the official news that the drug also combats sleep apnea. So, ResMed gets clubbed. We know that some of these growth, uh, the, some of the growth from a really great company, Intuitive Surgical (ISRG), comes down to this bariatric surgery for weight loss. Doctors consider this invasive surgery. They ask you to get your heart checked out before they do it. That in turn has driven doctors to prescribe Wagovi instead. In a recent conference call, Intuitive Surgical admitted that it's already hurting their growth. It's just a tad slower, but anything that shades numbers down on a high-priced, earnings multiple stock is the kiss of death. No one seems to wait around to see if the medical device stocks would be impacted. What if there are fewer heart attacks? Time to sell Boston Scientific, Medtronic, and even J&J. Again, money managers don't want to wait around for the next press release about how these drugs are great for your heart. Doctors will tell you that if you're a heavy drinker, you should be taking this class of drugs because they stopped the craving for liquor the same way they stopped the craving for candy. Is there any, under, any other reason, any wonder that Brown Forman, the maker of Jack Daniels, has seen its, seen its stock just get obliterated? Institutions don't want to wait for definitive proof. It's too late. They got to get out now. Which brings me to the point of the story. An institution's goal is to anticipate not the action itself, but that there'll be others reaction, reacting soon, and they have to get out ahead of those late reactors. Bottom line, I know it seems superficial, knee-jerk even, but money managers are knee-jerk and superficial people. And in the wild cases of Wegovy and Louis Munjaro, the more superficial and the more knee-jerk they were, the more money they saved. Whew. Mike in Louisiana, Mike. Hey, Jim, this is Mike from Shreveport, Louisiana. I love Shreveport. I've been there a bunch of times. It is just so much fun. Great place. Absolutely. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. So, Jim, uh, I'm holding Corterra, and with the proceeds from the sale of my uh, Pioneer, I'm thinking about buying into EOG. What's your take? All right. This is a great question, because I talked on the conference call about how we're going to be selling the Pioneer. It's a huge position for uh, the Chapel Trust. And the one I was thinking about was EOG. We're actually thinking about that because it is so well run. Great call by you, Shreveport Rocks. Crystal in Maryland. Crystal.
0: Hi, Jim. What a pleasure to be able to talk to you.
1: Oh. Uh, you're very about- kind, Crystal.
0: I'm just wondering about Johnson & Johnson. I'm 80 years old and have had it for a long time, had tremendous profit. And I'm wondering... Uh, where the company is going and
1: whether or not it's time for me to jump ship. Well, it's a fabulous company with a 3% yield, AAA balance sheet, but it's in the crosshairs of the plaintiff's bar, and the plaintiff's bar wants to take it for everything it is worth. And now they bought a heart device company, and the people who make these uh, weight loss drugs are are threatening that whole monopoly of what they've got. Uh, Look, J&J is a good company. I don't want you to blow it out, but understand that the forces of uh, anti-J&J are very powerful. A, a, a professional's institutional goal is to anticipate not the action itself, but that there'll be other sellers that are about to start selling. You have to get out of those reactive sellers. You have to get out ahead. On Mad Money tonight, Piper Sandler is out with its annual teen survey. So, which retailers are hip with the youth, and and which are the stocks worth buying? I'm digging the port to find out. Then Intuit has been making the case for why it's a leader in AI, but should investors believe the hype? I'm talking to the CEO, and the latest Fed Minutes came out today, showing the data that's really important to the Fed heads. But what does it imply about the higher uh, for longer theory? I'm taking a closer look. So stay with
2: Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money.
0: Ability at indeed.com slash madmoney. Just go to indeed.com slash madmoney right now and support this show by saying you heard about indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mad money. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire, you need indeed.
1: Yesterday morning we got one of our favorite sell side research reports of the year, the fall edition of Piper Sandler's semi annual Taking stock with teen survey. This is perfectly terrific I, Most research is really boring, but not this one. It's something I keep an eye on every spring and fall because it tells you exactly what teenagers like. The latest round was a survey of nearly 9,200 teens across 49 states. Now, this is the most notoriously fickle demographic out there. I'm too old to know what they're thinking. I used to rely on my kids for teens, but now they're too old, too. And that's what makes this survey so essential, indispensable even, to anyone who's thinking about owning anything in a consumer-facing business, whether we're talking footwear, apparel, food entertainment. Every business wants to, to own the teenage cohort because there's a chance you can win these younger customers over for life because our preferences tend to fossilize as we get older. So after reading the report and with a big thank you to the dozen or so Piper Sandler analysts that contributed to it, led by Global Lifestyle Brands analysts, Abby Juvenix and Edward Aruma. let me give you my takeaways. Because the taking Stocks with Teens survey covers a lot of ground, I'll go sector by sector. And I'm going to start with footwear, apparel, and retail. Then I'll circle back to more groups after the break. So let's kick things off with footwear and apparel, because this business is hostage to teenager preferences in a way that really most aren't. And you're fraud if you try to guess this one. You know why? Because first of all, Nike reigns supreme, as teens' uh, favorite brand in both footwear and apparel, earning the number one spot, get this, for the 13th straight year. To give you an idea of how much they love Nike, it was a staggeringly top choice of 61% of the respondents in footwear, 35% in apparel. The second most favorite shoemaker, Converse, with 9%, also belongs to Nike. By comparison, Adidas, I saw that in the Becker thing. I'm going to call it Adidas, but I don't know if you've seen the Becker thing, but he calls it Adidas. Came in at third place with just 7%. On the apparel side, the runners-up were American Eagle and Lululemon, both at 6%. Remember, Nike scored 35% of the apparel. They own the sector. Of course, since Nike dominated this survey for well over a decade, its number one, number one position one not much of a surprise. But Here's an interesting nugget. Nike's website came in at the number three spot for favorite e commerce site, behind only Amazon and the Chinese online fast fashion retailer, Shein, which I've got to do a ton more for this show to get in front of that for you. Now that's down a tick from the number two spot in the spring, but still pretty darn good. Nike stock has had a nice bounce after getting crushed in late September, thanks largely to a better than feared quarter. You have my blessing, even though it's now up three from where it was last week, to own it. If you're not worried about the company's exposure to China, I say you buy some tomorrow and buy some of the drops. What else jumped out of me in the footwear and apparel side? On Running, You're one of the stocks that we talk about all the time, one of my favorites. It was the eighth most favorite footwear brand among teens, up from 12 last time. That's a big move. Om was also the number five athletic shoe brand for upper-income teens. I also like the Crocs held steady at number six in footwear, heavily shorted stock there. Hey Dude, a brand they acquired last year, was number seven. Decker's Hoka, which my wife just bought yesterday, also had a good result, climbing to number three in athletic footwear among upper-income teens. That's very, very good numbers. Last on footwear, we got some new insights on Birkenstock. Holy cow, did that deal stink. But it's the German sandal maker that came public. Uh, let's say it came public with a whimper. I don't want to be too pejorative about something that just costs a lot of people money. Piper couldn't mention them by name. The results were listed as name withheld because Piper participated in the IPO and they're currently in the quiet period. A year ago, Birkenstock was number seven among female teens. Now it's down to number 10, despite the Barbie movie. Although it was doing better with upper income boys. No wonder the stock collapsed under its own weight once it started trading. I told you it was too expensive. All right, how about a power. Well, Piper Sandler cast the survey results as mixed for Lululemon, which surprised me. It it held its number three spot in the overall apparel category category, but lost a bit of share, down 30 basis points from the spring. I think the numbers still look pretty good for Lulu, number one apparel and athletic apparel brand for upper-income girls. Next, we got to talk about the continued ascent of this Sheehan. I mean, which is all over the report and moving higher on multiple lists of favorite apparel brands and e-commerce destinations for teen girls. Shein and another communist e-commerce platform, the PDD-owned Temu, are becoming a powerful force in online shopping. They deserve more attention than I can give them here, but I'll try to circle back. They're taking share and taking names. Now, there were also some very negative stories in footwear and apparel and I mean, I say negative. I mean, real negative. And the first one starts with VF Corp. This is painful. Uh, their once beloved Vans fell from one spot to the fifth most favorite footwear brand. It's really troubled. With 150 basis point mind share decline from the spring, 350 basis point decline from the fall 2022 survey. Meanwhile, FSC also owns the North Face, which fell from number six to number eight in athletic apparel for rich teens. Now, I am rooting... And I won him on for Logitech CEO, well, former Bracken Dow, because he took over this company VF, and I, you know he is really, really good. But he's got his work—I uh, uh, know after the quarter should come up, he's got his work cut out for him. I, I was—I was stunned at how badly this company is. I mean, I remember it was really great. Separately, the Piper Sandler analyst tried to classify the underarm results as mixed, but it's tough to put a positive spin on them. For at least the fourth quarter in a row, Under Armour claimed the top spot in a category no one really wants to win called top top brands no longer worn by upper income male teens. 27% of the respondents classifying Under Armour that way, up from 20% in the spring. Oh, of course, two other uh, doppelgangers, Gap and Old Navy, also made the no longer worn list for te- rich teenagers, both boys and girls. This is uh, one that you really don't want to excel in. But what about where the teens are, teens are shopping? Well, there was a huge jump in mind share for this shocked me. The off price subsector, especially among upper income teens. Looks like they're even rich kids are trading down. Great news for TJX, which we own for the travel trust. You got to catch the replay of this, this uh, meeting we had today. It was dynamite. Plus, fellow, tra- uh, fellow travelers, Raw stores, eh, not my fave. Burlington, don't like the rack look, but that's my own preference. Although the Piper analysts prefer TJX as I do, and they are right. Outlet stores also gain momentum as a shopping destination. Same trade down story. Hey, by the way, that's good news for Tanger Factory Outlet Centers and one of our favorite REITs, by the way. On the other hand, after hearing regularly that young people were flocking to secondhand or resale marketplaces over the past couple of years, those platforms continue to lose momentum, especially amongst upper-income teens. That's bad news for ThreadUp, the real real, but also to a lesser extent, one I really like, Etsy, which has exposure here after acquiring Depop, a secondhand marketplace, back in 2021 which I thought was doing good until I read the survey. And when it comes to teens' preferred e-commerce destinations, the only major takeaway is that Amazon is number one by a mile, which should come as a surprise to no one. 59% of upper-income teens listed Amazon as their favorite e-commerce site. I, by the way, Lena Kahn was not included. She's the FTC uh, commissioner. She didn't, I don't think she responded to this. Up from 57% in the spring and 52% last fall. Drilling down, 64% of upper-income male teens prefer Amazon which is nearly six times the second-place finisher, Nike at 11%. Meanwhile, 54% of the upper-income female teens named Amazon again, roughly five times the second-place finisher, Shein at 11%. And I, I look, I've, I'm poking some fun at Lena Khan; She's the head of the FTC, but I keep coming back to the fact that when you read these things, people love Amazon, so don't break it up. It's loved by all who use it. Here's the bottom line. Even the best footwear and apparel place might struggle in this tough environment. But the off-price retailers work in a world where consumers are feeling the pinch from inflation and also radically higher interest rates. Now, Nike, hits out for me, is good, and TJX is definitely good, and Amazon's always good. So stick around, and we'll go over what we learned about teens' preference in food, in drinks, in restaurants, beauty brands, entertainment. It is going to blow you away, and it's not what you think. Bad Money is back
2: after the break. Coming up. Kramer continues the hunt for where Gen Z is moving the market to. The young money favorites that could help keep you current. Next.
0: Electricity. A big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, Spy. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY?
2: Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETS are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor.
1: Before the break, I'll walk you through some key takeaways from Piper Sandler's semiannual Taking Stock with Teen Survey. We cover footwear, apparel, retail, and e-commerce. Now I want to drill down into the other categories in this extremely important survey of what teenagers like. First, let's talk cosmetics. The category as a whole is strong. Average female spending on cosmetics was at the highest level since 2019, pre-pandemic, and up 33% year-over-year. Even spending on fashion was down 7% year-over-year. Cosmetics even did better than the broader beauty products category, up 23%. In terms of individual companies, Kramer Fave, Elf Beauty, extended its lead as female teen's favorite cosmetics brand. That was at 29%. That was up from 22%. And you, look, the stock has just sold off like 20 bucks. I think it's a pretty interesting situation. Uh, it's just it was up 16% a year ago. Now, this is one of the most aggressive mindshare expansions I have ever seen. Uh, and the guys who run this company really have, remember, they offer great value And very similar quality in my mind. Now, there are also some negative results here for my travel trust because Estee Lauder, two of its brands, Too Faced and MAC fell out of the top 10. MAC being really important for them. That said, Lauder did better in skincare. How about shopping channels for beauty products? Ulta Beauty continues to bleed mindshare among teens, losing its number one position to LVMH-owned Sephora. As recently as the spring of 2022, 48% of teen girls said Ulta was their favorite destination for, for beauty products. That's now fallen to 32% versus 37% versus Sephora. That's a rather remarkable change. Let's switch gears now and talk about the food and beverage space, which has been crushed under the weight of all this hammering about a new class of weight loss drugs, even since Walmart blamed them for softness and it's, a, you know, it's grocery business. Now, teens are the latest, le- le- least likely to take these new drugs. Though. So even if there's lost volume from people who no longer crave snack food, it's the younger generation who appraised those older customers. So what did we learn? In the beverage space, one of my absolute favorites, I'm actually doing a piece about it right now for uh, the club, Celsius moved up to third place among teens in energy drink category at 16%, which put it's only behind Monster and Red Bull. Hugh Johnson, who's the CFO of PepsiCo, They own a stake in Celsius, told me this thing's as hot as he's ever seen. Given that Celsius only has a 10% market share in the total energy drink market, they're clearly doing better among teens, which bodes well for their future, because that's the key demographic. Celsius needs to get younger people before they graduate to coffee. How about snacks? even though the snack stocks have been hammered by worries about these weight loss drugs, they're still the best source of growth in the food industry. So how do the teens feel about these companies? All right PepsiCo did best earning the top spot for snack companies among with 29% mind share and that's thanks to frito lay business where it's lays, it's Doritos, it's cheetos that are in the number the number two. Three and five spots, not bad, huh? For favorite snack brands. Campbell's Soup jumped over Kellanova to number two, thanks to a strong performance from Goldfish. They got a lot of new extensions to the Goldfish line. And Mondelez International held on to its fourth spot for favorite snack companies category, with an 8% market share flat from last survey. Mondelez saw real strength in the newly acquired Cliff Bar business, which should continue to gain share of 77% of those respondents named it as their favorite snack plant, uh, brand and said they eat, plan to eat more of it over the next six months. That is the Uh, a better-for-you snack that Walmart is telling me that things are, uh, let's just say that's where the sweet spot is right now for everybody. Now, remember, this group is persona non grata on Wall Street because of the revolutionary weight loss drugs, so don't think that this isn't in flux. It could be. The Piper survey also has data on teens' favorite restaurants, but there wasn't a ton of movement here. For at least the fifth straight survey, the top two restaurants were the privately held Chick-fil-A And then Starbucks, whose stock was down bailing today and I think is attractive. In that order, that's how they finished, although both gained a bit of share in this iteration. McDonald's and Chipotle have been battling for the number three spot for the past several years. Mickey D's jumped uh, Chipotle this fall to win an honor, but both gained share. Finally, the privately held Raising Cane's Chicken Fingers and fries concept jumped Darden's Olive Garden to round out the top five. Now, I don't know a ton about this one, but they did just open their first two locations here in New York City. Might have to check it out. This survey even tells you how teens feel about social media platforms and entertainment. On the social media front, Kramer fave Meta, killing it. That's say solid results. As Meta owned Instagram, gained a bit of share, both in overall usage and as the platform their teens named as their favorite. You know I think this stock is fabulous. Facebook, which of course is the same under Meta, held steady on usage. Pinterest did well for itself, too. You know I'm liking that one. Its usage continued to trend steadily higher, with 35% of respondents saying that they used the platform in the past month. Not many people named Pinterest their favorite app, though. Just 2%. They got some work cut out for them, right? That's okay. As long as usage climbs somewhat and the company's successful with its modernization efforts, I think Pinterest is going to continue to be a good winner and a great stock to watch. The Chinese-owned TikTok was also strong, again, for at least the four straight survey. It was the platform teens most frequently named as their favorite. That's discouraging to me because I don't want TikTok getting so much data on American teens, but its popularity is hardly a surprise. I, I still favor Reels, of course, which is owned by Meta. The big loser in social media and, no kidding, Snapchat, which fell to number three in the list of most frequently used social uh, media platforms by teenagers. Again, not a shocker. There's, there's a reason the stock stuck around 10 bucks for the past year and a half. In the video streaming, Alphabet's YouTube finally surpassed Netflix. That's a big change. As the leader in daily video consumption among teens, I've been focused on YouTube's dissent in recent years, telling you uh, that the platforms is arguably the leading franchise in all of media. Now we have some empirical evidence that backs it up. Amazon's Prime Video and Disney Plus are also gaining share with teenagers. In audio streaming, Spotify has good results. 70% of teens surveyed and used the platform for over the past six months, up from 68% in the last survey. And 46% of teens now pay for Spotify, up from 44% previously. The Piper Sandler analyst notes that 96% of teens use a music streaming platform, suggesting the market might be fully penetrated, but there's still plenty of opportunity for companies like Spotify to convert free users to paid, which is what, by the way, people really want to see. Now, finally, kind of interesting, we need to talk about Apple, always Apple, right? Piper's teen survey had strong results for the iPhone which a near record 87% of teens own and a near record 88% of teens intend to purchase. I say own Apple, don't trade it. The Piper Sandler analysts also speculated that the solidly entrenched iPhone could be a catalyst for further services growth for Apple as the company installed base grows and grows and grows. I agree, which is why I always say own it, don't trade it. I think um, Invasion comes out tonight. Uh, I like it. It's a good one. You might want to check it out on Apple Plus. On top of that, Apple Pay is used, uh, is, has become the most used payment app for teens by a pretty wide margin. 55% use it in the past month. Holy cow, that's way up from the other guys versus 37% for cash app from Block, the Alpha as Square, and a one-time great stock that's no great anymore. Bottom line, there's a lot in this survey to tell you what teens like, and like it or not, teenagers are the future. And boy, this thing makes you a lot of money. So thanks again to the analyst at Piper Sandler who made this happen. Your stuff is really great, and it's why I still love the research. Let's see if the results this earnings season confirm what we saw in the survey. Let's go to Trey in California. Trey. I'm sorry, Troy. Yeah. Hi, Troy. Yeah, Troy in California.
0: Thank you. I made good money in AAL, but it's round trip. Is it time to get back in the airline?
1: Uh, No, I'm not going to recommend the airlines right now. We got we have uh, we have fuel a little too high and uh, it's going to make it. So it's just a difficult thing to recommend. So I'm not going to do that right now. All right. Every business wants to own the teenage cohort because there's a chance you can win these younger customers for life. I'll be curious to see if the results this earnings season can be confirm the results from the survey and I bet you the survey is more accurate than a lot of other Wall Street research. Much more made money I'm including my students with Intuit. The financial software company has been heavily investing in AI. But why is the stock still well below its 2021 levels? Well, I'm finding out with the company's top rest. And mortgage rates are still at a high. Uh, gas prices, they're not coming down. So are investors crazy to think the Fed might actually pause its rate hikes? I'm going to give you my take. And all your calls rapid fire tonight's edition of The Lighting Round. So stay with Kramer. These all sorts of companies love to claim that they'll somehow benefit from generative artificial intelligence. But for most of them, I'm telling you, AI is just a buzzword. So how do you pick out the real winners? How about looking at the companies that were talking about AI before it was cool? Take Intuit, the massive financial software company. You know them as TurboTax, Credit Karma, QuickBooks, and MailChimp. Intuit actually started talking about AI over five years ago. They use it to help people do their taxes and help small businesses balance their books. But in the past month, They have upped their game with something called Intuit Assist. That's a new generative AI-powered digital assistant that they unveiled at an Innovation Day event last month. Could that give us another reason to buy the stock that's been trading steadily higher for the past year, uh, even as it's still well below its 2021 highs? Let's check in with Sasan Goudarzi. And he's the president and CEO of Intuit to get a better read of the situation. Mr. Goudarzi, welcome back to Mad Money.
3: Hey, Jim, how are you? Great to see you.
1: OK, your presentation was the beginning of what I realized is the next level of AI. Everybody tells me they're going to use it. I think that you actually have made it so that if you're a small business, you have four or five employees that are into it because you just don't need four or five employees. You are you are the most force multiplier company I know. I'm going to give you the floor to tell, tell people what your AI platform does, because it is very real.
3: Well, Jim, your tee up was actually uh, amazing. You know, when we uh, set out five years ago to help small businesses and consumers, what we said was we need to tip the odds in their favor. Uh, And what we need to do is create an assistant that ultimately can deliver personalized, intelligent uh, assistance in ways that small businesses can grow their business, get more customers, retain customers, uh, know where their profitability is coming from, and then to be able to, to manage their cash flow Uh, And that's really what Intuit Assist is. It's a combination of five plus years of investment in uh, data, in AI, and particularly generative AI, where now uh, we are truly the assistant in the pocket of consumers and small businesses, where we will do the work for them. They're always in control. They can always decide what things that we want to evolve. For instance, take a a marketing campaign. If you want to develop a marketing campaign, uh, focused on a segment of customers selling new furniture that you just came out with, we will develop the entire campaign for you with uh, images, with the content, what should go on uh, the omnichannel, inclusive then of uh, what the segment reporting is, what your performance is, and what your follow through should be. And that's just a game changer for small businesses. And, and we're truly excited about the possibilities ahead to truly power their prosperity.
1: Well, you know, you make the point that small businesses are hurting. You said that they're about 90% of where they were. But because I think of what you do with your AI investments, and also, by the way, let's incorporate what MailChimp does in your whole uh, suite, you make it so that they may actually be spending less on things that, that they don't make money on because of you.
3: Yeah, that's exactly uh, right. I mean, the, the essence of what we're doing is bringing all of our platform capabilities together, MailChimp, QuickBooks, Credit Karma, and TurboTax. And in essence, what we want and what we're creating for a small business is that they can sit behind their keyboard, they can look at their app and be able to say, hey, this is the marketing campaign I want to run. These are my cash flow uh, targets. Uh, and I want to run this campaign for a week. And we put together not only the whole campaign and cash flow projection for them, but we'll execute it on their behalf while they're always in control and then make adjustments. And I think that's key. In life, you make assumptions around how a campaign is gonna perform, but the most important thing in a campaign is, well, what were the insights? What were the learnings? What was the data? What's the pivot? And now we, in essence, have an entire marketing team and a marketing agency uh, that uh, is there on their behalf uh, in an app. Uh, and they're able to actually get to the outcomes they want by spending money very smartly and actually put their uh, employees to even better use, uh, to more value-added work. And that's what's really exciting for small
1: businesses. Let's drill down on that because so many cynics tell me, listen, AI means fire people. I look at it another way. AI means being more productive, therefore being more profitable, therefore being able to hire more people.
3: Yeah, by the way, our our view and I think technology over the last 30, 40 years has proven this. uh, Ultimately, the role you play as an individual and as a human being uh, will evolve over time. But we actually believe people uh, will be key to the success of both consumers and small businesses. And in fact, the example, Jim, I would use for you is our Intuit assist leverages data and AI uh, to provide the assistance that's intelligent and personalized that I just shared with you but there's always a gateway to live expertise. There's always a gateway to a human to help do their bookkeeping, their accounting, uh, to help do their taxes, to help them with marketing advice. We believe humans are actually a very important part of the future. They're just gonna have to add value very differently, but it's the key to success for small businesses.
1: But also at the same time, look, I, I want humans, but what I liked was you documented your success rate. If a company uses you, it is far more successful than a company that doesn't. I think some of that is because your generative AI actually gives people the panoply of what works and what doesn't. I made so many mistakes because I didn't have this information. Mistakes that you would have corrected me on in every small business that I ran. It just seems like the success rate is based on the data. Yeah, and
3: by the way, what you just shared is our ultimate compass. 50% of businesses go out of business after five years, and the goal that we've set is if you're on our platform, uh, we want that to be 20 points better than industry. And right now, if you're on our platform, your success rate is actually 19 points better than if you're not. And it's because we're le- leveraging your data with your permission and all the AI capabilities to help you figure out where do you find customers, what customers to target, how do you get more wallet share, what segments are uh, profitable, and where you have opportunity to sell more of your services and in what state, in what country. And it's it's profoundly impactful for small businesses because again, It's tipping the odds in their favor.
1: Okay, until I read your deck, I wasn't sure where Credit Karma fit in. But it's very clear that you need that. Small business people are desperate to know how they are doing because it's it's one person, it's two people. So something I saw it as part of the platform made a lot of sense to me. I think people were finally, their eyes were open to why you made that acquisition.
3: Yeah, by the way, I mean, there's really two big things we're trying to accomplish. One, becoming the source of truth and the center of small business growth, which is bringing together Mailchimp and QuickBooks. The other is we really wanna be the destination, the consumer destination and the consumer platform, bringing TurboTax and Credit Karma together. And when you think about Credit Karma, it's over a hundred million members. Uh, We know everything about the customer. And with your permission, we can help you connect you financial products that are right for you to help you save money to be able to get your tax refund and know what to do with it within hours so it's profoundly impactful uh with bringing TurboTax and credit karma together and this actually this season is going to be a fun season as we integrate more of those uh applications together to create one consumer destination i uh,
1: I wish you had that platform when i started my some of my businesses because i would the mistakes that i made were probably so evident to the data you had and the, the agenda of assistant you had. I really want to thank you. Sassan Gudarzi is the CEO of Intuit. I tell you, I've loved this company from two CEOs ago, and they have a great bench, by the way, because they are, if you're in small business, you can't
2: live without them. Everybody's back after the break. Coming up, Kramer takes your calls, and the sky is the limit. It's a fast-fire lightning round next...
1: And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Ski Daddy? time for the lightning round. Let's start with Peter in Oklahoma. Peter. Yeah, how you doing, Jim? I'm doing well, Peter. How about you? Good. I'm calling from Yukon, Oklahoma. And I don't know if you know where that is, but... uh, I'm not that familiar with it, candidly. Well, it's the home of the great Garth Brooks. So I'm giving you and Garth a huge booyah from the great state of Oklahoma. I know he's addicted to the show, so I'll do the same. Go ahead. All right, I'm a huge fan, first-time uh, caller, long-time listener. My question for you is about SolarEdge technology. You know, SolarEdge is just interesting, it's down a lot, but you know what I really want you to do? I really want you to take a hard look at First Solar, which is doing so well, and I think it's a strong buy right here. How about Rob in Pennsylvania? Rob. yeah, Jim. How Booyah. are you? I am doing well. How about you? Good. Hey, um, I know you've been a little up and down with this stock the last year or so, but it had a good, uh, good run up the last day or so. What's your take on plug power now? Um, you know, I just can't be a fan of a stock that's losing, you know, company's losing that much money when I, when the CEO told me they'd be making some money. But he's a Phillies fan. Let's go to Tim in Maryland. Tim. Booyah, Jim. Booyah. First time, long time. Oh, fantastic that you called. What's How Can I help? I'm looking at Brookfield Infrastructure. What do you think? Um, Brookfield Infrastructure. Uh, you know what? I like it so much. I'm just debating whether that 5% yield is going to protect you. Um, I, I, no. No, we can't. It's not going to protect you. In the old days, it would have. So let's just let's just say no go right now. Evan in Virginia. Evan. Hey, Mr. Kramer. Booyah. Booyah. My puppy, Maggie, is a big fan of yours, and she loves chicken. So how do you feel about Tyson's food? <laughs> two dogs. You're and that dog. Let's go to uh, Ricky in Florida. Ricky. Booyah, Mr. Jimmy Kill. Oh, um, man, I was chilling yesterday. What's happening?
3: <laughs> uh, not much, not much. Thank you for no. having me. Oh, no. uh, I have two quick questions. Uh, the first one is I own about 300
1: shares for uh, Key Corporation at okay. a price of $1,170. All right. Uh, do you think that's a whole? Key is, I'm sorry. I, look, Key is such a good bank. You know, I come out here and I just say, oh, God, do I have to tell people to sell h or Key? Key is really good. Gorman is really good. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to make a stand and say you should own Key. 7.7% yield. I am going out there and saying I like Kate. Okay, it's a tough move for me, but I'm doing it. Let's go to uh, Bob in Florida. Bob. Hey, Mr. Kramer, how are you doing? I am doing well, Bob. How are you doing? Good, good. Thanks for having me on. Hey, question. I heard you saying a couple shows ago that you said you want to invest in companies that make real things with a good balance sheet. Absolutely. Make, make things and do stuff and make money. That's my thing. Um- Absolutely. What do you think of Monster Ticker uh, MNST? I have to tell you, I think Monster is a very good company. It is not going up as much as I think it because a lot of people are liking Celsius. And Celsius good company gonna make a lot of money next year, so I like them both. And that, ladies and gentlemen,
2: the conclusion of the
1: Lightning Round.
2: The Lightning Round is sponsored by Charles Schwab. Coming up, have you had enough of the Fed games? Gramer cuts through the interest rate chatter with some good news on the economy when bad money returns.
1: Here's a game that's getting a little bit long in the tooth. What will the Fed do next? As I see it, this part of the game is driven by fatuous and lazy thinking. It's become clear that until we have some definitive signs of several forms of inflation turning into deflation, Say we got the Fed minutes from a month ago and made a big deal of it. They mean absolutely nothing because what matters is the current data. So I'm dismissing it entirely. The last important data point was from the September employment report that showed high growth in hiring, but low growth in wages. Terrific sign. Maybe we're getting inflation under control, but it's not dispositive. What would be dispositive? First, we now know that the long end of the yield curve, buffered by heavy government issues, is more important than the short rates controlled by the Fed. Most finances priced off the long end, which is no longer artificially low. So we... You do have to watch the long end of the curve more than the short. Second, no Fed chief wants to be the guy who stops raising interest rates then gets a blast of overheated numbers. Having one encouraging employment report does not a streak make. You need many good numbers, perhaps as many as six in a row, six months in a row, before you can be certain that the coast is clear, hence the hire for longer stuff. j Powell doesn't want to repeat the mistakes his predecessors made in the early to mid-70s. He's a historian, by the way. So why do we parse every word whenever some Fed official opens their mouth? Because people hope. They'll offer some viewpoint that can help you figure out whether there'll be a pause or another rate hike. Again, I think it's a hollow exercise. You aren't going to know what what Jay's going to do or what he thinks or what matters. And while I do think that he wants to pause, he also knows he needs to beat inflation. He's not seeing that. I don't think he's got enough positive data on that front to feel comfortable. If he hasn't seen it, then we don't care if others have. For example, homes have barely come down from their highs. And when you add in mortgage rates, they're the least affordable in history. They're still up roughly 40 percent before COVID. We talked to used cars last night but CarMax CEO Bill Nash. They're up a percent for the previous month. That's going the wrong way. We know the gas lease going higher. Should be going lower by now. Not yet. Rents aren't coming down. No meaningful decline in price in the supermarket, although at least they've stopped going higher. Restaurants having collectively cut prices. Now, you and I know it costs much more to go out to dinner than it used to be. That's not right. Poll after poll shows that inflation is considered the greatest scourge of our time. It is no coincidence that the teen survey we covered earlier in the show showed newfound love for T.J. Maxx, and that's because you can afford it. And that's why I think it's absurd to believe the Fed is done but I also know this the rate hikes haven't had a chance to work their magic which is why it's right for the Fed to pause and see if they will I just wish we could stop the darn parlor game of what the Fed will do next they told you what they'll do rates will stay higher until there's meaningful data that shows some deflation from the highs not just the slowing of inflation the good news inflation can be brought down without doing too much damage to the economy the bad news we have to sit through endless stories and chat about what the Fed's going to do. You want to know what it's going to do? Watch to see if we can get actual declines in prices, because not much else matters. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise you to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. Last call starts now.